0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, really, really good to see you. Just interestingly, uh, just wondered whether um, this counts. I don't know if any of the ladies here consider their partners, there, their men, as teddies. But if they do, not invited to the girls, ladies thing, I think. Probably not. Thankfully also that uh, you're not going to go through all of those scriptures on finances because I probably only have five minutes, but we don't. We have, we have a good time together this morning. Yeah, fantastic to be with you. You um, would know, as Glennon has said, that we're talking this morning or thinking this morning about uh, children who change the world, and um, we're looking at Jacob and Jacob's sons. Uh, you'll recall that Ed preached, Ed Strong preached so, so wonderfully, powerfully last week on our sonship. Remember, he uh, was talking about Reuben, and uh, Reuben in, 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 uh, in Hebrew meant son of my right hand, and so we're going to be looking, as I say, at a couple of the sons of Jacob as we go on in the series. Uh, and yeah, just I think just recall and just remind ourselves that children who changed the world really refers to you and I. That's the meaning of, of the series, that there are these, these children of Jacob that have such significance to us as we walk out our, our Christianity uh, today, but we are children of God. And the idea is that we would take from from, from this uh, uh, direction from how, as to how we as children can impact the world. Something that, uh, that struck me, uh, lots that struck me in, in Ed's preach last week, uh, the one phrase that he, that he used, he said, if we show only servanthood and not sonship, we show only religion. If we show only servanthood and not sonship, we show only religion. In other words, religion doesn't really go with sonship. If we are sons, we should not have religion inside of us. We should more have relationship with our God. I'm going to unpack some of those things this morning. Title of this morning's speech is removing religion from priesthood. Clearly, we're going to be looking at religion, not only in the priesthood, but just in our everyday Christianity, religion and Christianity and the priesthood. Looking at various aspects of the priesthood, is there a priesthood? Was the priesthood only of Old Testament? Those are some of the things that we'll be unpacking this morning. So let's look at, uh, at, at the Levites. Uh, the Levites really were, were very, very instrumental in the Old Testament. All the priests, the priests came from this tribe, the Levites. So all the activity in the temple, the high priest was a Levite. The Levites were, 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 were in the temple, serving, doing the things that priests in the Old Testament did, and only the Levites who do those functions, perform those functions in the Old Testament. An incredibly respected position in the Old Testament, that of the priests and the priestly functions. So we look at Levi, and Levi wasn't a particularly, as, 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 as applies also to Benjamin. Levi wasn't a particularly righteous man. He wasn't someone that we would we would say was flawless. In, he was flawed in many ways. We don't really know much about Levi, um, other than to read of an episode where his his sister Dinah was raped, and he Levi and his his brother Simeon took revenge um, on on that person. And, and it might seem quite noble and the right thing to have done. But on his deathbed, his father, Jacob, didn't reflect well on, on, on his son, Levi, because of that incident. And he wrote, uh, uh, we read about that on his deathbed. And he, Jacob says of Levi, weapons of violence are their swords. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And yet, Levi and the tribe, the Levites, were given a position in In the Old Testament, that was absolutely vital to the to the to the nation of Israel. Flawed people. We we prayed about it this morning. How, How incredible that God's grace extends to you and I. In the same way that grace abounded to those in the Old Testament, even though they were flawed. Levi was just that sort of person too, as was Benjamin. Wonderful, wonderful reminder. we get into the meat of it, of the unmerited favor, unmerited love, that love that we don't deserve that God pours out on every one of us. So we're going to look at the meaning of Levi. Levi means to be joined, to be joined. At this point, I probably should be very grateful to Jacob that he didn't call his third son Fred or Charlie. I wouldn't have had much of a preach this morning, would I? But he didn't call him Fred. He called him Levi. And Levi means to be joined. And it seems like a throwaway thing. So it means to be joined. It is of such significance to us, you and I, this issue of being joined. Being joined. It's deep. It has much meaning. And I hope it will come through in what we think about this morning. First time it's mentioned, this word Levi, the Hebrew word, to be joined, is right in the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis 2, verse 24. And it's that passage of Scripture that refers to, 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 to marriage. It talks about how a man shall leave his father and mother, and he, shall, and he shall be joined with his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's where that word is first used in the Old Testament, to be joined and in, in the, the, new, the New Testament, the new function of, 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 of a priest today, and we will get into it a bit more, is to, amongst other things, to ensure and preserve this joining of Jesus with his bride. And who is his bride? You and I are the bride. Jesus. We are the bride of Jesus. And we are joined in that same way, in the same intimacy as he's referred to in Genesis of the joining of a a man and wife. Is that not stunning? Is that not incredible? That we would be in that same way joined to Jesus, the bride of Jesus. And that's one of the functions of the priesthood today, to ensure that we continually celebrate that as a church, as his bride, that we are joined to Jesus. And exactly the same function was what the Levites performed in the Old Testament. But they had a really, really, as it's important nowadays, but even probably for me, their, 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 their role was even more important. To do exactly the same thing, to make sure that the, the, the nation of Israel, God's people, were walking in unity with him. They, was, they were joined to him. Why was it so important in the Old Testament, this function of the priests, the Levites, but well, it was such an important thing because and 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 we we touched on it a little bit just before we we broke bread in in, in reflecting on Jesus' sacrifice in the old testament Jesus had not come obviously but the sin of the people of Israel was the same as our sin it was big it was real they constantly strayed from their god their hearts were not after him and so in the old testament this function of keeping the nation, God's people, joined to him and in step with him and and preserving that relationship rested with the priests. So the priests had to continually bring sacrifices to God on behalf of the people because their sin was so bad or the consequence of their sin was to separate them from God. They couldn't even go before their God. They couldn't even come to a place of worship and say to God, God, forgive me. Because their sin was too great. Jesus had not yet come. And so the high priest had to continually offer sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the people. And they did this daily or regularly. And then once a year, or I think it was once a year, but they had a feast, which was atonement, where they would fast in case there was something missing and and forgiveness had not been received by the people. That's what the priests would do. Can you imagine living in that way? I often think many of us perhaps do live in that way into a certain degree is why I throw it out there. Where we're continually aware of how sinful we are and how we can't do anything. Glendon preached some of my preach this morning in terms of breaking before we broke bread. We, we, we can't do anything to gain favor with God. Only Jesus is able to take away our sin. And imagine being in the Old Testament, I don't know. And, and and being in that place where you were continually aware of your guilt. Don't forget they had all these laws again that the priests would, would 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 administer and, and and teach on how they should live. The law was very specific. They could only do this and they had to do that and because there was they, they tried it was it was an attempt to direct them to live in some sort of righteous life. I think that must have been Very hard place to live in, but you continually are aware of your sin. And of course, Jesus' coming changed all that. When Jesus came, the bride, you and I, were joined that we're joined to Jesus, and we would never and will never be separated again from that. We will always remain joined to the King of Kings, our Lord and our Savior because he paid the price for our sins. He took our sins upon himself, as we heard earlier this morning. He was the perfect high priest, Jesus. The perfect high priest, who offered that one sacrifice that was perfect to remove our sin from from Jesus' sight once and forever. The perfect high priest. And no more do we need to be to be, to be praying for forgiveness or, or, or doubt our salvation every day. We are saved by the blood of Jesus, that one sacrifice. No longer is there any sacrifice that is required on our behalf. Isn't that a beautiful, wonderful, magnificent place to be? Our status before God and nothing that we did to deserve that, friends. There's another aspect to the high to this to this to this to this beautiful, wonderful sacrifice of love that Jesus did for us. That's just to consider that the high priest, Jesus, our high priest, has not, he's done that work for us, but he continues to be our high priest. To this day, Jesus continues to be our high priest. When he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. It was a wonderful act of, of, of celebration. It was, it was triumphant. Jesus had conquered death. He'd, 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 he'd won over, he'd, he'd defeated Satan. And so he ascends into heaven in, in an act of great triumph. But such is our God that he doesn't stay in that position of, 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 of attention on him and the triumph that that was. Instead, he becomes our high priest, our advocate before the Father, sitting at the Father's right hand, interceding for you and I every single day. Wow. That is our high priest today. You know, I, 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 I was in the legal fraternity. I, I was a lawyer. And I spent many, many, many hours in, in one of my previous jobs in, in, the, in, in the rooms, the chambers as they called it, of, of, of senior counsel in Pretoria. Every time there was a trial, I represented the bank, we would go, I would be there taking counsel from that advocate. And you know how much it costs to go and make an appointment and see a senior advocate in our legal system. Takes a lot of money. Often they say... Our justice system is flawed because those that can afford the best advocates or lawyers are those that get justice, and to a degree that is true. But our high priest, our advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, is the very best advocate that you and I could ever have. We prayed this morning, and and we reminded ourselves of the greatness of our God this morning in prayer meeting. He's not just an advocate. He's the greatest advocate above, who is above all things. And you and I have free access to him every second of the day. We pay nothing for counsel in his chambers. You know what? He's paid the price. He's paid the price for us to take his counsel. For him to be able to represent us is because he's paid the price for that. Is that not beautiful? Is that not something to be eternally grateful for? So, we had a. Lainey shared the scripture, I think, I think, this morning. I think it was Lainey. What does that mean then, as being in that position, as priests, of, of knowing the priest, the high priest Jesus, and being joined to him, always joined to him, as closely as a man and wife is joined? It means, as we read in Hebrews 4, verse 16, that we can therefore. Approach God with confidence. Approach his what? His throne of grace. As was shared this morning, to receive mercy and grace. This issue of grace that we receive from God. And I'm going to touch a little bit as we've looked, t- thought about the Old Testament or we'll think more of the Old Testament priests. priests grace is not something that's associated much with religion. Religion doesn't give much room for grace, a God who's full of grace. But where we are in Jesus at this time, we know Jesus' grace only too well. We describe Scripture, and I'm going to move on quickly a little bit, quickly with these, the, this theme. We, we are described in so many ways being joined to Jesus. One of them is that he is the head, and we are his body. We are, he is the head, and we are his, are his body. Think of a body. I mean, how much more closely can you be joined if we describe as Jesus being our head and we are the body? In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, it says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. This joining of Jesus in that way, then as this verse says, spills over into our relationship. We are joined also together because we are each, we each a part of the body of Christ. And that binds me to you and you to me in a very deep spiritual way. I, 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 I've, I've often, often, often just marveled at this. Where I'll meet somebody who I know is a Christian and I don't know them well. And I'm far different to them. I could be younger, not much younger, probably older than them. It doesn't happen that often that I'm older than them. And I'm younger than them, or I speak a different language, or I look different. Or, and yet there's a bond, a unity, because we are all members of Christ's body together. We are in Christ, and he is in us, is another way the, the scripture speaks of this. He is the vine, and we are the branches, it says in John 15. He is the vine and we are the branches. And out of that joining comes much fruit. It says there that if we stay and remain in him in that way, we will bear much fruit. So, this being joined to our Lord in this special and deep way has many good consequences. Too many to mention. He becomes our rock, He becomes our Fortress. He becomes our deliverer, as it says in, in, in Psalm 18, verse 2. Because we are joined to him. He, he's, he's, our, he's, it's, it's a, he's our rock. And that joining is strong. It is unshakable. He's our fortress, a fortress that cannot be shaken. Because we are joined to, to, to him. And he's our deliverer. There is nothing that can come against you and I if we are joined, and we are, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't know how you feel. I just want to just, just, just pause a moment there. Have, have, you, have, you, have you, if I had to say, put up your hand, those of you that can say and, and knew that, that you're joined, once, on, once you've given your life to the Lord, that you're joined to him. But I'm just hoping that as, as we start just thinking about these concepts, we live our lives perhaps in a much different way. That we don't let... The, 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 the shaking of the world influences us quite so much when we realize how what God's, God's coming to earth and dying for us means just in our everyday lives. is joined to our Lord and our King. There is another part of this joining though that I, I just want to just highlight to us and that is, let's, let's read, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6.15, a bit of a chilling scripture. It says, do you not know that your bodies, here it is again, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members, my body, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Isn't that a bit of a startling scripture to read? We're part of God. God is, 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 is We're part of him. He's part of us. What happens then if we take these bodies that are part of Christ and we start committing sin? We're taking Christ into that situation. If I'm joined to Christ and I'm doing, I know that we don't, you know, we, visiting a prostitute is, is, is a very specific thing. But let's put it in another context. Every single time. I use foul language in my dealings with people, or I'm impatient, or I get angry, or I'm jealous, or I slander people, or I judge people unfairly. Is that not the same thing? If I'm joined to Christ. I'm taking Christ into those situations. There's a real caution, and there's a weightiness to us being attached and joined to God. There's a weightiness also, and and, and, and a place where we have to consider who we are in Christ in the way that we behave. So positionally, we are in Christ. As I said, we are joined to him. We will never not be joined to him. But practically, we can wander. We can wander from God. We, we, we can do things, even if in Christ, in the spiritual realm, we are joined to him. We can do things that dent that joining. We can choose by our, uh, the way that we react to situations, either intentionally or not, to dent that joining to Jesus. And that's why there are many scriptures. That John fifteen is 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 is, a, is full of this kind of this kind of um, theme. It says, for example, remain in me in verse, in verse 14, John 15, sorry, verse 4. It says, remain in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. In verse 10, it says, I'm in the Father, the Father loves me, and then it says, remain in my love. And if it talks about remaining, I think Jesus knew that sometimes we don't, sometimes we drift, and so the, so the, so the, the, the scripture says, it reminds us, we need to we need to remain where we are. We rem- need to remind ourselves daily that we are in Jesus and he in us. My friends, I asked just a, a short while ago, have you, is, is it beginning to maybe take a deeper meaning for you this morning? The fact of being joined to our God in this most marvelous way. And I think Jesus knew, and Jesus does know. I don't think, I know he does because he's that kind of God. It's not a religious thing. It's not, it's not, we do it because we are in relationship with him. And so he knows being in relationship, that sometimes we wonder. And it can be that the things of this world make us weary. Instead of being joined and holding on to our joined, being joined to God, we allow our circumstances, our family situations, the stress at work, the shaking of things around us, sickness, financial problems, to change the way we think. To change the way we feel. But God's promises remain even though those other things in the world may rock and challenge the fact. You might say to me, I, I know what you're saying to you. I don't particularly feel particularly joined to God at this time. Right now, this morning, I don't feel so joined to God. How's this for a wonderful scripture? Because I think God knows that sometimes our joining is dented. Matthew 11:29. 29, we know it well. He says, come All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's the joining. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That yoking, being yoked, is very much a joining with Jesus. God does not place burdens on us. Walking the Christian life is not one of burden. And if we feel burdened, and we will, not from the lord and hence the scripture that says if you're feeling that way come to me and i will give you rest for your souls because actually i remain joined to you and always will be i'm just going to look let's look a little bit at 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 the difference then some differences between religion and christianity so religion is all about ritual about ritual it's about sacrifice as it was with the old testament priesthood where they continually had to sacrifice there's a lot of ritual in in the in the old in the old priesthood there was only one central place where everybody had to go to worship typically that's that's a very religious practice you can't you can't worship you only at one place or you're able to worship there's very high a lot of hierarchy I, 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 with with due respect to to to, to I, I think of a going to the dutch reformed church once and, and the priest preached from up there you had to climb up the stairs to get to the pulpit and i thought of hierarchy was suggested to me a hierarchy that is up there maybe closer to god than i am down there there is ritual and there's hierarchy and we have to do things to earn our goodness that's the that's what religion is i have to do something to earn my salvation or good standing before god touched on that earlier this morning Typically, God is distant. He's not personal. And he's mystical. There's a mis- often a mis- mis- you know, mystical aspect to our faith. It might be incense that's, that's, that's you know, burned, and, and there's that atmosphere created of, of, mis- of a mystical. At- it's not bad. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a, in a Catholic church as a young boy. I went to church in a Catholic church, and there's very much that mystical kind of element. And there's some, I found some, some attraction in that. But it's a danger because we see those things, the rituals and the, and, and the mystique, and we miss the relationship that God is calling to us. Not the practice, not, 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 not the things and the, the robes. and the, those. That's not the main thing. And it becomes or can if we're not careful. As I said before, grace is not something that is often seen in, in, in religious practices. The love of God is not part of a, often a religious experience. You're so busy doing things to earn God's favor. There's fear that's related to that, because there's a fear that I might not do enough to earn God's favor. That's religion, some of what religion is. There's no love. And again, with respect, I believe that Islam has about 500 attributes uh, that describe God, but love apparently is not even one of those attributes. Nowhere is God described as love or loving God. Jesus clashed often with religious people. Jesus clashed with religious people. And we know that, for example, in talking to the Pharisees, he described them as whitewashed tombs or, or, or yeah, whitewashed tombs. In other words, they were on the outside they were painted white, but inside was something completely different. Their outward appearance was as, as if their tomb was all painted nice and white, but what was, what was in there under that tomb? Not, not, not anything too pleasant. And Nicodemus, again, it was mentioned this morning. Nicodemus was a good man, but he was religious. He was a good man. He knew the Torah. He knew, the, knew the, he knew Scripture exceptionally well. And he lived a good life. And he knew, though, that that was not enough. That outward religious stuff, where you're doing the right things, you're looking good, you're saying the right things, something was missing. And Jesus said to him that he needed to be born again. Those things that he was doing... They were good things, but he needed to be born again. They needed to be an inward change. That's what is required, not outward facades. So that's a personal relationship with God that, 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 that we walk in. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, when, when Samuel was asked to go and anoint the king, and everybody came before him and they all looked so good and they and, and he kept and he says in, in, in scripture I, I thought that was the one i was going to anoint as king and, and and god reminds him that man looks at outward appearance but god looks at the heart that's the difference between between religion central worship let's just touch on that in our walk and in the modern priesthood and in christian circles we worship god because we are joined to him and we don't come only to church to worship god it says that when, when, when Christ died, the veil was torn in that temple where only the high priest could go. It was torn from top to bottom. There is no more separation for you and I to be before God. We can come to God ourselves personally as the high priest used to do. How is our worship? Do we walk in that way? Do we worship God every day? Do we worship God at home? Do we worship God at work? Not necessarily, because you may get fired. You don't have to burst into Christian songs all day. You don't have to walk through the corridors of where you work, you know, singing praise songs. But you, you, you can pray in, uh, in your heart. You can, you can worship God in, in prayer. And we're called to do that because we, we don't have to come to a central place to worship. Rituals. Shouldn't be rituals. Shouldn't govern the way we, we live our lives as Christians. No more. And sometimes we make the ritual the main thing, the outward things, the ritual, instead of our relationship with God and our change of our hearts. And often I think, maybe, I, maybe I'm talking and I'm, I'm not going to carry on for too long. I'm nearly finished. Sometimes even our, our words, don't you think, can be religious. And we can say hallelujah after every single time somebody says something. You know, we, we, the, I, I, my wife gave me some, Fried egg this morning, hallelujah. Because we say those things as Christians, or we say I do. I, I often say, end off a WhatsApp, and I say, be blessed. If I'm just shooting it out there, that's religious. If I really mean, though, and I've thought about it, and I really, I really pray God's blessing on you, that's, that's cool. But if I just shoot out everything, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed, hallelujah, that's religious ritual. Sacrifices. Do Have any of you brought a whole lot of chickens this morning? Are we going to be slaughtering animals this morning? No, thank the Lord not. However, there are certain sacrifices that we do have to do. And I'm going to just end off very shortly. Modern priesthood. Is there a priesthood? The last point. Do we have a priesthood anymore? Or was that only for the Old Testament? This is what the scripture says. 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who, is, who are the priests today? You and I. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Revelation 1.6, God has made us a kingdom and priests to serve his God and King. Today there is one high priest who is Jesus Christ. And he calls you and I to continue to be priests. The priesthood of all believers, not the pastor who stands up front or the person, the leader anymore, but the priesthood of all believers that you and I are called to be. There are some sacrifices because it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Although we don't have any chickens in the back there. What about this as a sacrifice that you and I, as the modern priesthood, are called to be, called to make? How about the sacrificing of our own will for the will of Jesus? That's a sacrifice. Constantly to the altar, we, we lay down our own will so that we can follow the will of the one to whom we are joined. That's a sacrifice. And we sacrifice those things. We exercise various gifts in the building of his body. That's what we call to do. We worship. We intercede. Functions of a priest. We declare the gospel. We build each other up. Functions of the priest. We accept him as our portion and our cup. Because the Levites, when they, when, when they were assigned, when Israel was assigned portions after the conquest in Canaan, the Levites got no inheritance. They weren't given the inheritance that the rest of the people were. We read about that. Deuteronomy 10 verse 9, the Levites said only that the Lord was to be their portion and their inheritance. And I really am going to finish in three minutes. We called upon to have exactly that. That the Lord should be our portion and our inheritance. I was with a whole bunch of matrix at a gala presentation the whole morning yesterday. And and they were talking about their future and how they it's now time to go out there and make their mark and grab, you know, make a mark out there in their careers. And and nothing, nothing came through of the inheritance that they had in Christ. Their, their, their portion is yes, we we are to be successful in the world. But what you and I, as priests, are called to do, like the Levites of old, is to recognize that our greatest inheritance, the thing that is really important, our portion, is actually found in Christ and nowhere else. I'm going to end there this morning. In conclusion, we serve as priests to God. And we are being sanctified by our whole priest, by God, every day. And we're to serve as in, in, in this church because priests serve. But we should serve out of not routine and religion, but of our, because we are joined to our God. Because we are joined to him is why we serve. It is incredible, is it not, to reflect that we are sons of the Most High God. And that we are joined to him forevermore. I hope that's been a blessing this morning. Thank you.